Brought to you by the Cabell County Public Library. Between Two Shelves brings you a new look on the day-to-day -day life of a library. From youth services to circulation and beyond, our episodes will lend you the world here at the Cabell County Public Library. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Between Two Shelves, the official podcast for the Cabell County Public Library. I'm your host, Jacob, and today I'm joined by Maggie from the Harpers Ferry National Park. Uh, Maggie, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing pretty okay. Uh, so we will jump right into the first question, which is, can you describe what Harpers Ferry was like before John Brown and the raid? Yeah, so Harpers Ferry, if I could set the scene in 1850, essentially is on the cusp of becoming this huge industrial town. You have a lot of employers in the area. The main employer, the Federal Armory and Arsenal here at Harpers Ferry has over 400 workers under its belt. They work to produce the various muskets for the Arsenal building in the event of conflict, in the event of war, just as a means of storing these devices, they're operating these machines. You have Virginia's Island, not far from the actual town of Harper's Ferry, where they are producing all sorts of items like flour, wood pulp, later to be made into paper. You have cotton mills just alongside the Shenandoah River. In terms of the town itself, it was very crowded, much like it is a little bit today. You have a lot of historic buildings. You have this mixed mesh of people coming from various cultures, various backgrounds. The town in 1850 itself had about 3,000 people. Uh, 5,000 in 1850, near the end of that, of that decade, they had about you know, 3,000 people. So it was on its way of becoming this really huge industrial town on the map. Mm -hmm. What sort of stops that from happening then? A lot of it is because of the events following John Brown's raid. You have with the raid itself, this extended paranoia. And then when you come to the Civil War, Harper's Ferry being a border town and where the Federal Armory and Arsenal is on the Southern side, it is a very focal target. Mm -hmm. In 1862 and 1864, it's gonna see two main battles, relatively small battles in terms of the Civil War's history, but significant for the town. The town itself changes hands, depending on who you ask, anywhere from eight to 14 times during that period between Union and Confederate forces. A good way of putting it is Harper's Ferry is a good town to have under control. It's not a great place to defend. Not a whole lot of people are gonna wanna take it uh, yeah, or keep it. There's a quote from Stonewall Jackson where he says, it's really easy to attack, but not easy to defend or something like that. Yes. Yeah. So my next question is after John Brown's raid, what was the re like, reaction like in Harper's Ferry? I know you said there was this paranoia. Uh, can you kind of describe that to us? Yeah, absolutely. So where we are in Harper's Ferry in 1859, we are still part of the state of Virginia. West Virginia does not become a state until 1863. What ends up happening, the aftermath of, uh, of John Brown's raid, not only do you see this extended paranoia, this fear, that John Brown, in a sense, wanted to instill in Southerners. They're basically afraid of this way of life that is being challenged. West Virginia, Virginia back then, was part of the South. It was a 
a Southern uh, slave state, the number one economic export for the state of Virginia was slaves. So it was very much a central part of life back then. That being said, you have this sudden out of nowhere attack on the town, attacking the major employer in the town. It just feeds off of what was going on in the time too, in terms of just like the political atmosphere, abolitionists, pro-slavery, individuals, delegates kind of fighting it out with each other, this long extensive history and it dates as far back as to the early 1800s with 1854 being the most recent. Mm -hmm. I would say in that time period, the big central marker there with the Kansas-Nebraska Territory Act. That act allowed for Western territories that wanted to be admitted into the union to essentially decide for themselves whether or not to allow slavery. And that goes against the Missouri Compromise. Kansas itself turns into a lawless land, essentially, where you have these pro-slave and abolitionists basically fighting for control or some sort of structure to even go by. It's a lot of small events. And then you throw in John Brown's raid in the center of it, direct attack on the town of Harpers Ferry, people are going to freak out. Yeah. And just to put into perspective, in the town of Harpers Ferry itself, you have these, you have one militia in 1840. It quickly fizzles out. After John Brown's raid, there are four militias just in the town of Harpers Ferry. People are arming themselves because they don't for, know what's For a population happen. of 5,000, you said? Yes, yeah, essentially. Wow. So you kind of mentioned bleeding Kansas. Uh, I, I would, I think you could make the argument that the Civil War actually starts with bleeding Kansas, even if war is not officially declared. Yes. Because it's, it's the conflict starting out there that just bleeds to the east. Yes, and John Brown himself did move over to Kansas. He had family in the area. Three yeah. of his sons lived in that state. And if anything, the events that occurred over in Kansas really radicalized him to believe that action was the way forward, that no longer can we just you know say these things. We can talk about it, delegate it. There has to be movement. There has to be action. Mm -hmm. I'm a big Lincoln assassination person, and I write the questions, so I get to ask what I want. Mm -hmm. So I, I have heard the story that John Wilkes Booth was at John Brown's execution. I just want to make sure, is that true, and how does he react to it? So first answer to that question is yes, he was at John Brown's execution. Him and Stonewall Jackson are some of the uh, bigger Southern figures that were present for the execution. Now, the way that Booth found his way over there is actually really interesting. So Wilkes Booth is child of two immigrants immigrated from the UK, arrives to the United States. He himself was a member of some anti-immigrant parties, the Know-Alls, I believe is what their name The Know-Nothings? Yeah, the Know-Nothings, yeah, thank yeah. you. The Know Nothings, he's a member of this party, so he's very politically active, you know, throughout his youth. 
he uh, ends up joining a volunteer militia over in the state of Virginia called the Virginia Grays. And the whole reason he joins is just so that he can go over and watch John Brown's execution. His perspective at the time and his perspective of John Brown is not uncommon in terms of Southern opinions about the event. The major takeaway, a lot of Southern opinions will state that while they did not agree with John Brown's message, they did not agree with what John Brown's actions stood for. They disagreed with his methods, they disagreed with his actions, but they respected him. And the reason they respected him is they respected that Brown was essentially willing to stand by his convictions. He was willing to defend and say like, I understand that I have committed these actions. I don't see anything wrong with what I have done. And to put it in this sense, John Wilkes Booth essentially respected that Brown was willing to die for his message. He was willing to die for his cause. And it makes sense. Booth feels the same way when he does what he does. Yes. If anything, it's it's interesting because Booth has a history, has this rhetoric of saying, you know, Abraham Lincoln is a traitor to his country. Yeah. Those thoughts most likely would have aligned with Brown as well. And yet he assassinates the president of the United States, which is a very traitorous act for yeah. that time period. So we kind of mentioned a little bit about it, but can you describe the Battle of Harper's Ferry, the first battle with Stonewall Jackson, and how that impacts Robert E. Lee's march into Maryland? Before the Battle of 1862 here at Harper's Ferry, Robert E. Lee is already in the state of Maryland. He's over in the town of Frederick, which is about 20 miles away. Harper's Ferry itself poses a very significant threat to Robert E. Lee in the sense that it is blocking his escape route. In the event that the Maryland campaign that he is on currently turns south, he's going to need to evacuate and retreat back into the state of Virginia pretty quickly. However, where he is in Frederick, he realizes just 20 miles to the left over here, you have the town of Harper's Ferry. You have a garrison over there under the command of Colonel Miles Dixon. You have this threat. And if you're going to advance further, you're going to want to cover all of your loose ends. That is the main idea behind the Battle of Harper's Ferry over here. Robert E. Lee dividing up his forces sends two-thirds of his troops with Stonewall Jackson over to the area. He has several other leaders um, that follow suit over there. And because of the way he fanned out his resources, fanned out his troops, eventually with the Battle of Antietam, yes, there are troops that follow up towards the Battle of Antietam. Because he had spread himself so thin, he is forced to retreat after that battle because too many soldiers have been lost. He has to retreat back into the state of Virginia to reassess. Yeah, just a couple weeks ago, I was actually up there in Antietam. And they, they talk about how there's this, they call it a Hollywood moment of the troops from Harper's Ferry arriving right at the brink of battle. And I, I just thought that was so interesting. That, yeah, that every connection. little bit is connected. Yeah. The next question is, what is the point? Well, the point of this talk, I hope, is to learn some more about Harper's Ferry. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Harper's Ferry, the point is essentially an area in our park. It's arguably the closest overlook that you can get to 
I like to think of it as a meeting place because when you are over there, you can look out, you can see three states. So you're in the state of West Virginia, you have Virginia over to the right when you're standing over there and to the left, you have the state of Maryland. You are at the confluence of the Shenandoah and Potomac rivers. The Shenandoah empties into the Potomac and so you have this meeting place and then you are all in one park site. The point is also where the Appalachian Trail meets in the state of West Virginia. So you would cross the Maryland Heights Bridge across the Potomac River into the state of West Virginia for just a brief section of the AT before continuing on to the state of Virginia. So what are some recreational activities in the park that people can do? We have a ton of recreational activities. We have hiking trails. We have over 20 miles of hiking trails. We have river rafting a little bit further up the rivers, up the Shenandoah and Potomac. There are private businesses as well that do offer that service. We have a pretty good birding population. A lot of people that come out here to bird, whether that is over on Virginia side or over near Bolivar Heights, Murphy Chambers Farm is a really good example of a hiking trail that you can go out and basically explore. We have a lot of shops and restaurants in the town next door. So Harper's Ferry is divided very interestingly. We have our visitor center, we have all of these hiking trails, and then we also have Lower Town, which is where a lot of our museums and exhibits are. And next to that is the actual town of Harper's Ferry. They have a lot of shops, lots of businesses where you can walk around, peruse there. All of our museums and exhibits are incredibly fascinating. We have a very expansive, vast history over here. We have cycling, biking in the area. You can't bike on any of the trails, unfortunately, because they are pedestrian only, but you can bike over at the Sino Canal. We have a lot of people that make that trip over there. Okay. Yeah, I accidentally made the mistake of driving into Lower Town. Yes. And realized very quickly, I need to get out of here. Mm-hmm. It's very claustrophobic. Absolutely. Yeah. So what is one of your favorite trails to hike? My favorite trail to hike is one that is a little bit less popular. It's not the one that a lot of people will think of, right? I have done the majority of our hiking trails over here. I have hiked Maryland Heights to that overlook, which definitely do recommend if you have the time to do it, if you feel able to do it. But I would say the hidden gem of our park site is gonna be Virginia's Island into Halls Island. It's a trail that you'll find me on pretty often, pretty frequently. I like Virginia's Island because basically to summarize what it is, it's an archeological site that you can hike around. And that's not really something that you're afforded. My history with, you know, being a park ranger, being and working with the national parks, I have been to multiple sites and a lot of them, you don't have that. You aren't really afforded that ability to get up close to these ruins, let alone right next to the Shenandoah River over there. It's very scenic. It's a lot of nature, especially as you bleed into Halls Island. There's a lot of trees. You're walking in the shade, which is really good, especially on hot and humid days like we're having right now in July. It's it's very peaceful as well. So you'll be walking alongside these ruins, kind of spotting this old history of the factories that once stood alongside the river, how we essentially back in that time period in the 19th century sculpted out this island just to build these businesses to produce these products 
and just the testament of the relationship of man with nature. So what would you say to someone to get them to come to the park? I would say we have things for everybody. Harper's Ferry is unique in the national park system in that it covers this really expansive history, but you don't have to visit just for that history. You can come over here to explore the various hiking trails in the area. We compass three states. Not a whole lot of parks can say they are in three states. You can explore the area. You'll learn something new every single time that you come over here. There is so much. And I think just to really get a feel for it would require multiple visits. And yeah, there's just something for everybody. And you, when you come out of here, you will walk away learning something new. You will have a new perspective that you had not thought about before. Okay. Well, that's all the questions I have for you today. Thank you very much for joining us. And we look forward to seeing what happens with you guys and the parks. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thank you.